If you have your Bibles with you, would you please open to the book of Isaiah chapter 58. You're going to put just a, a fingerprint there or a bookmark there in Isaiah 58. We're going to go there towards the end of the message today. Um, and uh, Isaiah is in the Old Testament. Isaiah was one of the larger prophets, kind of in the middle of the Old Testament there. And you can go to Isaiah 58 and just kind of hold a place there. And we're going to get to that, like I said, a little bit later. Um, here we are in 2020. 2020. I mean, the world was supposed to end 20 years ago when all the computers blew up, and we're still here 20 years later. Um, Every year has something new. I think all of us would agree that we don't really know what each year holds. At the end of each year, I was thinking about this yesterday, a couple key things that I was remembering across last year that I never would have thought happened in 2019, and they happened in 2019. And maybe that's your situation too. Maybe there's some things that you experienced in 2019 that you didn't think were going to happen. And maybe some of those are positive, and maybe some of those are very negative. Um, maybe some of those bring joy to you. Maybe some of those bring sorrow. What we do know is that every year brings something new. Um, that also applies spiritually because God is the one who brings new mercies to us each and every day, the scriptures say, which means we can always expect God to bring something new to us if we're looking for him. Um, at the beginning of every year at Bridge, one of the things that I like to do is I like to spend some time talking specifically about prayer and fasting. Um, last year, uh, we did a series for the month of January called A Season to Thrive, and we talked about how the theme of thrive was a big theme in 2019, that we want to encourage people to learn how to thrive and learn how to grow spiritually by listening to God's voice, uh, learning more about him through his word, and living for him in the way that we apply what we've actually learned. And we got the ball rolling of beginning, a, um, uh, yeah, <clears throat> excuse me, getting the ball rolling by getting the cafe area and the lounge set up with our different stations and some of our resources. And we're still in our infancy of all of that, but it's getting the ball moving in the right direction. Because if you really want to grow spiritually, the only thing that prevents you and I from growing spiritually is us. The only thing that prevents me from growing spiritually is me. It's not someone else. It's not the messages you hear on Sunday morning. It's not the people that you live with. It's you. It's me. If I want to get closer to God, I can get closer to God. And we're trying to give opportunities for people to say, if you want to grow spiritually, this is how you can listen to God. This is how you can learn more of who God is. This is how you can live more for God and find out that in the process of doing that, you will become more of who God has for you. So we're going to do not a season to thrive this year, but we're going to do a series for the next four weeks that I've entitled Prepare a Place. Um, And the series came after um, a message, basically came as a result of a message that I talked about in September of last year. Some of you may have been here last, um, last September, and you remember the message I talked about specifically entitled Prepare a Place for God to Move. Um, and I felt like God used that message as a springboard for me to talk about what he would like to do in Bridge in 2020. Um, the gist of it comes from Mark chapter 1, verse 3, where Jesus um, says, Prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Um, it's actually John the Baptist saying, Prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Um, and the whole point of this is the idea of removing any boundary or obstacle or obstruction between us and God so that we can have a deeper, more genuine relationship with God. In 2020, I don't want to have a goal that we're going to see thousands of people come to Christ. I hope that happens. In 2020, I don't want to have a goal that we're going to expand our facility and we're going to do all this stuff. That's not the goal. The goal that I want to do is I want to focus on the thing that God calls us to do and then rely on him for everything else. And that means preparing a place. And when I mean that, I'm not talking about a building. I'm talking about our hearts. Because the place that God inhabits today 
is not a building. The place that he inhabits today, as you heard during our communion, and Kevin said, is our hearts. God doesn't inhabit a building. He inhabits our hearts. Our hearts are our temple. In John 14, he talks about the coming Holy Spirit, and he says how the Holy Spirit, when he comes, is going to be in you and live in you. One translation says the Holy Spirit will make his home in you. And in Acts chapter 2, we saw that happen in Pentecost almost 2,000 years ago. So this morning, I want to encourage you to prepare a place in 2020 to see God move in you and around you, to see God move in your heart, in your community, in your family, and to do that by beginning with what he does inside you. Now, you might like the idea. You might say, yeah, I want to see God do something this year that he's never done before. And, and I've, I have this expectation in my heart that I'm like, yeah, there's some things that I would like to see God do in me, through me, transform me this year. I'd like to see some of those things happen. But how do we get there? And it's strange that I'm kind of a visual person, so I see things and I get images and word pictures of things. Um, I had this experience last fall when I was walking my dog around the block, uh, and I took a picture of what you see here. Um, this is actually uh, two lawns of my neighbors over on the main street that I live on. Um, I'm standing in one of my neighbor's uh, yards, basically, and then I'm looking down the road at another neighbor. And if you can see by the picture, these are very different lawns, <laughs> very different lawns. And the one that I'm actually standing next to, believe it or not, actually is pretty low considering what it usually looks like on a, on a weekly basis. And I took a picture of it because it stood right in my face, and I said, there's a transition that this represents to me. Two lawns seem to represent two levels of spiritual health. One of them is not very healthy, and the other one is more healthy. One of them seems to be neglected, and the other one is nurtured. And I looked at that, and I said, which side of the lawn or which side of the, of the boundary does my spiritual life look like? Does it look like the one on this side, or does it look like the one on that side? And if it looks like the one on this side, how do I get to the one on the other side? How do I cross over to the one on the other side? Now, if you know anything about lawns, maybe you're a green thumb person, or maybe you're someone that just pays someone to do your lawn, or maybe if you touch your lawn, it dies. Um, either way, it's, it doesn't matter. What matters is the way that you get from the one on this side to one on that side is through intentionality. It's through time. It's through routine. And when, when I talk about routine, I'm not talking about things that are boring. I'm talking about repetition and a rhythm. And this is what I mean. You cannot go from this side to that side quickly. It always will take time. It always takes time to go from one side to the other because there needs to be a transition where the weeds die and you feed it and fertilize it and water uh, nurtures it and then it grows and it gets cut. And you have to continue to trim and nurture and feed and fertilize and weed and feed. And you do this over and over and over again and eventually the one on this side begins to look on the one that side. So for us to see this transition, we need to be people of intentionality. In 2020, when I'm talking about preparing a place for God to move or preparing a place in my heart, it's directly linked to the connection or the idea of intentionality. It's linked to the idea of being in a rhythm where the things I do every day, every week, every month, bring me from one side of the boundary to the other side. You see, I think sometimes... I have felt over the years, and I don't believe this today, but I know I've bought into this at different times, that everything changes in a moment when I become a Christian. Or if I just go to the altar, God's going to fix my life. Or if I just listen to that one message, that everything will be different. And, and that's just false. 
It doesn't mean that God doesn't touch us at an altar moment. Of course he does. It doesn't mean God can't put something new in us in a moment. It doesn't mean that God doesn't use instances or events across the year to grab our attention, to change our course, but to see the long-term benefit, we have to walk the path. We can't expect God to just flip something overnight and expect our lives to be radically different. We have to be willing to walk. So when we're looking at preparing a place in 2020, I want you to think about it in terms of the transition from this side of the lawn to the other side of the lawn and to look at routines, rhythms, and intentionality. So there's different things we're going to talk about over the course of the year that have to be part of our normal routine in order for us to grow spiritually. If we want to grow from where we are to where God wants us to be, we have to apply these things on a daily, weekly, and monthly basis. So this morning, we're going to kick it off by talking specifically about prayer and fasting. Specifically, I want to talk about fasting. Now, we don't talk about fasting through most of the year, and that's something that's going to change in 2020, and I'll explain that in a little bit later. But we don't talk about fasting much every year except for the beginning of the year. But fasting is a very important thing for us to talk about as followers of Christ. Now, for some people, you look forward to this time of year, and I know because I know who you are, and I hear you talk about it, and it's exciting and encouraging, and you can't wait sharing about what God's going to do through you and in you in 2020. For others, it's like you're getting ready to run a marathon. And I get the messages, and why do you have to have it this time of year, and, and you know this kind of thing. And it's just tongue-in-cheek. People aren't complaining about it. But, but for others, you have to really prep yourself for this time of year. For me, it's a mix. I look forward to it, but I also know that there is a journey that I'm getting ready to walk into. We need to talk about it this morning. I'm going to ask four specific questions. This is a very practical teaching kind of a message that I think is important for us to understand. And, and it's important for us to understand it through the lens of Scripture. What does Scripture teach regarding fasting? And why is fasting important and how does it matter? Uh, How can it be applied to our lives? You see, our culture has altered the definition of fasting, so I'm trying to get back to the roots of biblical fasting. So we're going to look at these four questions this way. The first thing I'm going to do is ask this first question, what is biblical fasting? And then we're going to look at who should fast. We should say, "Why why why should we fast? And then we're going to answer the question, how should we fast? Okay, so I'm going to go right through these, Um, and like I said, it's not going to be a lot of time through each one, but my hope is that you have a better understanding. For some of you, this may be a repeat that you've heard these things before. For others, it may be the first time. My hope is that regardless of where you're coming from, you can pull something out of this that you didn't have before, and it will impact the way that you live in 2020. So number one, what is biblical fasting? Okay, biblical fasting, according to Scripture, is simply this, to deliberately abstain from food for spiritual purposes. When we talk about fasting in Scripture, we talk about abstaining from food for spiritual purposes. Okay? What does that mean? It means it's an opportunity to demonstrate our need for God and our total dependence on Him. Okay? An opportunity to demonstrate our need for God and our total dependence on Him. Fasting in Scripture is always connected with food. It's not connected with technology. It's not connected with social gatherings. It's not connected with hobbies or interests. When people fasted in the scriptures, they stopped eating. And this is important for us to understand because our culture has replaced removing food from our daily practice in whatever shape or form that looks like for anything else that we choose to remove. 
Well, no, I'm not going to fast food. I'm going to fast technology. I'm not going to fast food. I'm going to fast hobbies. I'm going to fast TV. I'm going to fast, you know, uh, Hulu. I'm going to fast whatever. I'm going to fast these things. And I'm not saying it's a bad thing for us to say no to some of those things. But let me explain why I think this is so important to look at it through the lens of fasting food. Because when you look at all of the things we need as people in this world, the number one thing we need on our list is food. You can survive without clothes. It's not pretty. Maybe uncomfortable. But you can. And there are places in the world that people walk around pretty much naked. Okay? I don't want to be there, but I'm just saying. Like, you can do it if you had to. Okay? You can survive for a period of time without shelter. You don't need to. You could go overnight. People camp out overnight just for specific things. When we were in D.C. a couple of months ago, I remember you know, waiting online for one of the Supreme Court trials. We talked to people that slept out on the sidewalk on sleeping bags overnight to be a part of seeing what was happening during that one trial. You don't need shelter, but you can't go really long without eating. And everybody here, when you walk out of these doors today, I'm willing to bet, are going to find a refrigerator or a restaurant or something that can fill that rumbling in your tummy. And that's the way that it works. Why is that so significant? This is why I think. Because all of those things that we talked about, and you can add in hobbies and technology, you can add in um, uh, interests and you know, entertainment and all those kind of things. All of those things are really the things that feed our flesh. But the greatest thing that feeds our flesh is food. It is the foundational thing that feeds our flesh. And I believe there's a reason for that. When scripture talks about fasting and going without food, what we're doing is we're going to the most important thing that our body requires. And we're saying to our flesh that our hunger for God is greater than our hunger for the flesh. We're telling our body that it is not the priority. Our spiritual health is the priority during that time. So that's why I think this is so important that the opportunity exists to demonstrate our total need for God and our total dependence on him and why I think biblically we see a fast in connection to food. Now, I do believe that there is a benefit for people to not participating in some of those other things. Don't get me wrong. I think, honestly, there are some things that we just need to strip away from our lives in general because they can be a level of unhealthiness for us. But when we're talking about this, I think Scripture goes directly to food because foundationally it is the number one thing that our flesh requires to live. So we take a shot at the number one thing our flesh requires to live and we say, you are second to God. You with me? This is why this is so important for us to understand why this is. Now, I know you may be here and you may be here this morning and there's or some people, excuse me, that just say, I am unable to fast, so should I just check out for the rest of the, 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 the message? My answer to you is no, don't, okay? Because here's what I know. God is not a God of authority. He's not an authoritarian. He doesn't have a stiff arm and a stiff fist towards people. He knows that there are people in this world that cannot fast for medical reasons. They know that there are people for different legitimate reasons that you say, if you're asking me to plan a time during this window where I go without food, something bad is going to happen to me physically. And I'm not going to be the one to counsel you to do that or not to do that. What I am going to say is this. For people in those situations, whatever you choose to let go of, And to give up during this time. If it means something to you, if it matters to you, it matters to God. That's so important because the point is not to say who's everybody who's not eating. The point is what is the position of our heart towards God? 
And that's what God's looking for. I just think food is the number one thing that gets our body's attention. So if you're here this morning and you're like, I can't do the food thing, then ask yourself over the next few weeks how you can participate in ways where it matters to you and you replace that time with time with the Lord. And can I tell you, if it does matter to you, God gets, God has your attention and you have God's attention in that situation. So that's the definition of biblical fasting. And why I want to encourage you to be a part of that. Who should fast? Now, I'll tell you, I've asked this question the last couple of years. And this week, <coughs> I'm going to edit it. Um, but who should fast? The first thing I have in their response is every follower of Jesus Christ should fast. We see that all through Scripture. And we see it. Jesus even spoke about it during the Sermon of the Mount. He talked to his followers and he talked to the leaders who were spiritual leaders. And he said on the Sermon of the Mount in Matthew chapter 6, he said in verse 2, So when you give to the needy, making the assumption that they're going to give... This is how you do it. He goes, but when you pray, and he instructs them in Matthew 6 how they're going to pray. And then in verse 16, he says, and when you fast, he tells them how to fast. These are three assumptions that Jesus makes that all believers will do in different ways in different times. This isn't a formula. It's just practically, these are some things that are the overflow of what it means to be in relationship with God and how to continue to grow in relationship with God. But my question initially was, who should fast? And I said, the answer to that is every follower of Jesus Christ. I'm going to adjust that this year because I think that that's incomplete. Who should fast? Everybody in the world should fast. And let me explain why. Because God is not just pursuing those that already know him. When we make a decision to fast, and I don't mean just go without food for a diet. I mean, when someone is looking for God and they choose to let something go that means a lot to their body to pursue God, God's going to show up in their lives. So whether you're a follower of Jesus today or not, what I can encourage you with is that if you're here and you're listening to this and you're saying, well, I don't even know if I'm a believer or a Christian, why should I fast? And here's why I would say, because Scripture shows us that those who pursue God and those who are looking for God with all their heart will find God. God is not going to turn anyone away who is looking for a relationship with him. And if by doing that, you participate in a fast and you say, I don't even know what I'm looking for, but God, if you are who you say you are, reveal yourself to me, he will reveal yourself, himself to you. That's why I think it's so important. But from a Christian's perspective, if you are a believer, you should be participating in a fast and a rhythm or a routine of fasting because Jesus instructed his disciples to do it and we should do it as well. Now, the next question is the question that a lot of people want to know the answer to, and I do as well. It's the why behind it. Why should I fast? We know what fasting is or who should fast, but what about the why? Why should I fast? If I don't know the reason behind why, and the reason isn't just because God said so, okay? There's something else behind it, okay? The number one reason why we should fast, I believe, is for wisdom, okay? And what I mean by that is to know God and to know his will, Okay, to know God and to know his will. That is, I believe, the number one reason we see in Scripture as to why we fast. Let me be clear about saying this when we talk about fasting. There are other benefits to fasting. Okay, you will, depending on how you fast, you will lose weight when you fast. One of the fasts I did years ago, I lost 25 pounds over the course of 21 days. Wouldn't advise that, but I would say this can happen. Some of you maybe want to fit into your new genes in 2020. A fast might actually have that benefit, but that's not the motivation for us to do it. Okay? But it might be one of those benefits for you. <clears throat> it's not a hunger strike. When we fast, it's not a sit-in before the gates of heaven where we're demanding God to do something, and if we only go without food, now God's obligated to answer us our way. That's not the purpose of fasting either. We're not twisting God's arm into submission. 
by fasting, where he says, you know, I wasn't going to answer Paul, but you know what? Now he's not eating. I don't have a choice. Gabriel, go down and take care of it. Like, he doesn't do that. That's not how God works. Fasting isn't about getting God to do something our way. It's not a hunger strike. It's not a diet. It's not a fad. It's not just for cleansing and purification. Are there benefits to that? Absolutely. I tell people this, and I'm not embarrassed to talk about it. I love chocolate. Love, 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 love chocolate. Okay? I love it. I love it. You know, like there was a kid years ago, there was this cartoon, and they like they fell into a big thing of chocolate. And I was like, that would be like the best thing ever to do that. And I remember thinking about that. Well, I'm sharing this with you because years ago, I used to eat Oreo cookies like by the sleeve. Okay? I love Oreo cookies. And my, my stomach started yelling at me at some point in, the, in, in my life. I can't remember how many years back, maybe like 15 years ago. And I would eat chocolate, and every time I'd eat large amounts of cookies, which I shouldn't have been eating anyway, my stomach would be like, hey, that's wrong. Don't do that anymore. And it would let me know. So I went on a fast, and one of our years when we did a 21-day fast, I did a 14-day water fast. And can I tell you, after the 14-day water fast, I was able to eat chocolate or cookies for this day, and it still doesn't bother my stomach. It's like my body got healed during that window of time. So there is a benefit to people. You laugh, but it's absolutely true. Amen? Did you amen that? So, I mean, if you want to eat large amounts of chocolate, consider fasting. Um, That's not the conclusion I want you to come to. But my whole point in saying this is that there are benefits. You can be detoxed. People can get rid of the impurities. That is not the real reason. The real reason is to know God and to know his will. Okay? It lets your flesh know that you hunger for God more than you hunger for food. Another misnomer, a myth that we have to blow up is this, fasting doesn't move God closer to us. It moves us closer to God. This is so important to understand regarding fasting. I'm just saying this a different way from what I said earlier. Fasting does not move God closer to you, my friends. It moves you closer to God. See, scriptures give examples of the life of God. Kevin talked about the blood that brings life. Jesus used examples of the water and the life that comes from the water. And can I tell you, the waterfall of God's power, the waterfall of God's love, waterfall of God's grace is always flowing. The question isn't whether the water flows. The question is whether we're in the water or whether we're out of the water. God is always speaking. God is always reaching. God is always looking. And if we feel far from God, one of the things we need to ask ourselves, if we have moved, there are seasons where God is clearer than others. And there's different reasons for that. And I don't want to presume that I know every reason. But one thing I will say is that during a time of fasting, what you will find if your heart is in the right place and you're not just going without food, if you're replacing that time of eating with time with the Lord, if you're praying, if you're using more time to, to hear his voice and you're, you're dedicating that quiet time to spend more time with him or reading scripture, or planning it deep in your heart, what you're going to find is you will hear the noise of the waterfall more frequently. You will hear the, the depths of it. You will get more wet than you were before spiritually because you're getting closer and closer and closer to the waterfall of God's love and his grace. Does it make sense so far? You got with me this morning? Okay, so this is important. Um, wisdom doesn't move us closer to God. It moves us. It doesn't move God closer to us. It moves us closer to God. And there are all kinds of examples in Scripture that we could talk about regarding that, but I'm going to bypass that just in the interest of time. Uh, The second thing I want to mention this morning is simply this. It's intervention. Why else should we fast? Intervention to demonstrate your need for God. There are legitimate examples all through Old and New Testament when Israel didn't know what to do or kings didn't know what to do or disciples didn't know what to do. 
And what their response was? To get on their knees, to pray, and to fast, and to seek God's plan to intervene in the situation. In 2 Samuel 12, 22, after he was presented with the truth that, he, that David was a liar and a murderer and an adulterer, and Nathan the prophet said that this son that's going to be born, that should never have been born because you committed adultery with this woman, is going to die. He sits before Lord, the Lord and he fasts and he prays. And in verse 22, he says, I fasted and I wept while the child was alive. For I said, perhaps the Lord will be gracious to me and let the child live. The whole point of that is that when we're looking for God to intervene in a situation, fasting is one of the things we do to align our will to God to hear him more clearly. Again, it doesn't twist his arm to do something on our behalf, but it allows us to hear what he's planning to do and to walk in the ways that he's calling us to walk. So intervention is a big example or a big reason why people fast. And you might have examples of why you've intervened in different situations. The third area is empowerment. To live in the power of the Holy Spirit. I think any of us would be a bit arrogant to say that we have the understanding, the wisdom, and the strength to live this life completely on our own with our own ability. We need to be able to live this life with the power of the Spirit behind us. In fact, I don't think we can actually walk through the life that God has called us to walk without the Spirit living in us and living through us. Fasting unlocks greater depths of the power of the Holy Spirit, and we see examples of that in Luke chapter 4 when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights. It says, beginning in verse 1, Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit and he returned from the Jordan River. The Spirit led Jesus into the desert where the devil tempted Jesus for 40 days. Jesus ate nothing during that time, and when those days were ended, he was very hungry. Verse 14, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and stories about him spread all through the area. You know, it's important for us to remember that before great ministries happened in Scripture, there was usually a time of preparation that involved prayer and fasting. Before Moses was used by God to deliver the nation of Israel from Egypt, he prayed and he fasted. And there was a 40-day window that Moses prayed and fasted. Before Jesus' ministry began publicly, there was a time of prayer and fasting. And then after he was empowered by the Holy Spirit, he began his ministry. Before the Apostle Paul was ever used by God to do mighty things for the kingdom and for the the work of God, he was brought away for a time where he fasted and he prayed to be empowered by God to be used for his service. And this is really important, that empowerment comes through fasting. I wish I could tell you I understood how it works, but the only word picture that I have is that fasting is an emptying of ourselves to allow more room for God to fill us. And it empties us in different ways. So when we go without food or we're saying we're not going to participate in this, our flesh is is second to the Spirit of God, we're ridding ourselves of things to create a place a new wineskin for God to fill with something fresh. Because if our jars are full or our glasses are full and we try to add something new to it, there's no room. It always overflows. God wants us to empty the things of ourselves so that we can be filled with the things of him. And this is important for us to understand. It's important for me to be reminded that real empowerment doesn't come by what I can get. Real empowerment comes by what I can let go of so then God can give me more. And it's important for us to know that, that when it comes to fasting, you're going to let go 
during a time of fasting. You're going to lean into the things of God. You're going to trust him more than you trust yourself. And God is going to fill you in ways that you cannot and I cannot fill myself. And that's powerful for us to understand the need and the purpose of fasting in that way. So whether you're looking at it from the perspective of wisdom, intervention, or empowerment, all three of them are relevant, all three of them important. Let's just be reminded before we do anything else that the number one reason is to know God and to know his will for our lives. So the last thing I want to mention this morning, very simply, is how should we fast? And some of the nuts and bolts on the proper way to fast. And that's where we come to Isaiah chapter 58. It's a great picture every year that I like to read from Isaiah 58, where the prophet Isaiah speaks to the nation of Israel. And I just want to set this up for you before we read it so that we can be reminded that Israel was God's chosen people in the Old Testament. And they fasted because they understood the message of fasting in the Old Testament. But the problem that they had as they fasted before God was that their circumstances weren't changing. Their situation wasn't getting any better. They were doing what they were doing, and there was no benefit to what they were doing. It really just felt like a hunger strike. And Isaiah addresses that, or God addresses it through Isaiah. And look what he says beginning in verse 3 of Isaiah 58. Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? Yet on the day of your fasting... You do as you please and exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and in striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Just stop there for a second. What is God talking about through the prophet Isaiah? It's the same principle that applies to us today. If your choice to participate in fasting ends with your choice to go without food. Don't expect God to do anything because fasting's not a hunger strike. Fasting's not just a ritual that we're supposed to go through. No, he says here, all your fasting is doing is making you hungry because it's not changing the way you live. Verse five, is this the kind of fast I've chosen? Only a day for people to humble themselves? Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed or for lying in sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? He's putting his finger on the heart of each person. And what he's reminding Israel is the message that each of us have to ask ourselves. That fasting is not just about going through the motions. It's about letting God change our heart. And when God changes our heart, it changes who we are. It transforms how we live and it transforms those around us. Look at verse 6. Is not this the kind of fasting I've chosen? You want to see what God has in store for those that fast according to his plan? To loose the chains of injustice. To set the oppressed free and to break every yoke. Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter when you see the naked to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood? I mean, look at what God's contrasting here. The kind of fast he has chosen for us to, re- to receive and to walk in is the kind that takes strongholds and destroys them. How many of us, if we were being honest in our lives, look internally in our lives and say, where is the stronghold that needs to be defeated today? Where is the addiction that needs to be defeated today? Where is the doubt that needs to be destroyed? Where is the fear that needs to be removed? 
Where is the you fill in the blank that needs to be removed or taken away? God's version of a fast destroys strongholds, my friends. So I'm not raising my voice today. I'm not moving around. I'm not trying to be anything except being a person that gives truth to this to say, if we want to see God do something supernatural in our lives in 2020, we got to do it God's way. Our hearts have to be in the right place, and we've got to be willing to say, you know what? Sometimes the kind of fast that God wants us to do is when we're sick and tired of being sick and tired, God says, okay, if you want to do it my way, now I'm ready to do something. Is it not to share your food with the hungry? Wow. To provide the poor wanderer with shelter. See what he's talking about? This is all about a transformation in the way the church is supposed to look and the way followers of Jesus now are supposed to act. But fasting does not, there has been such a trend over the last 15, 20 years where fasting has become this thing. And now you can buy different menus and you can go online and I'm going to do this fast and that fast. And and, and it's great. I'm not saying that people shouldn't participate. But if the primary foundation of why we're fasting is not correct, all you're doing is being creative with your diet. This is so important for us to understand. It's so important for me to be reminded of this morning. That if my heart's not doing it for the right reason, God is not impressed. And there's no stronghold that's broken. And there's no transformation in my life. When we fast God's way, we begin to see differences, changes, and transformation. Look what he says in verse 8 when we do it this way. Then your light will break forth like the dawn. You want to see God do a breakthrough in your life? Do it his way. Let him transform your heart and your life. Let him transform my heart and my life. Your healing will quickly appear. Wow, we could do a whole message on that. Then your righteousness will go before you, and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call, and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help, and he will say, Here am I. I mean, remember a few weeks ago when we talked, let me read nine first. Then you will call, and the Lord will answer you. You will cry for help, and he will say, here am I. A few weeks ago when I talked about faith, one thing I said was faith is not a feeling. Faith is not an emotion. Faith is a confidence in the promises of God. If you're looking for a better illustration on how to walk in faith, I'm not sure you'll find it outside of these, message, outside of these verses. Because God lays out a promise to all who choose to fast his way. And to say, you know what, if you want to be real about some of the stuff that you're sick and tired of being sick and tired of, make a decision to follow me this year and do something a little bit different. Choose to fast. Choose to follow me and participate in this fast. Because he says this, and in verse, the end of second half of verse 9, he says, If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing finger, and with malicious talk, and if you spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness, and your night will become like the noon day. See, the promise is there is that when you go in with the right motive and you let God transform you and you walk in that transformation, that's when you see the breakthrough. Sometimes we think, when I see it, I will do it. And God says, you need to do it so you can see it. Make sense? This is so important. I don't feel like doing this. Wow. I mean, you know, I don't feel like going without food. I don't feel like skipping a meal. And by the way, this is not saying everyone, this is a 21-day window of prayer and fasting, my friends. I'm not encouraging you all to go without food tomorrow for the next 21 days. If that's what you're hearing me say, unhear that. Okay? Because that's not what I'm saying. Everyone participates differently in different ways. What I'm saying is during this window of time, if you choose 
to walk it out God's way, if you choose to let him transform your heart, if you choose to change your behaviors through this, even if you don't feel it, then you will see the benefit. And that's what real faith is because God's word says it, not because we believe it, because his word says it and his word is true. And real faith, real faith is not about what we feel. It's not about our opinions. It's about who God is and it's about the promises that we can trust. His word matters. And if you're willing to walk it out this year, I could tell you stories and I love hearing the stories of people over the years that have said, you know, I'm gonna grasp hold of this this year. And I'm going to go after God in a very practical way in this situation. God's heart is never going to turn anyone away who's genuinely pursuing him. That's not the heart of a father. That's not the heart of the heavenly father. Does that make sense? He wants every one of us to draw closer to him. And if you're hungry for God, he is wanting to pull you in and he will pull you closer to himself. I'm going to ask our worship team to come forward as we get ready to close today. And I was going to close with a song today, but we're not going to do that. If you guys could just come up and just lay some music, and they'll sing a little bit in the background as we get ready to close, but we're not going to close in a song, and here's why. We need to take a little time and just reflect today. We spend a lot of time listening. We spend some time singing. We spend some time with communion. God wants us to respond today to what he's asking each one of us to do. He wants you and I to be honest with who we are and where we're going And he wants us to say, what do we want to do in 2020? So I ask you this morning, what is your relationship like with God? Do you have a relationship with God? Let me start there. Do you have a relationship with God? Maybe you have a relationship with God, but it doesn't feel like it should. Maybe it feels kind of stale. In fact, I know that there are people that feel that way. In fact, I'm not saying bridge, but I'm saying the bigger church is full of people like that. And I think at different times in our life, many times we feel that way. It ebbs and flows. This is an opportunity to retrain yourself, to be open and let God move in your heart in a way that he hasn't moved before. encouraging you to do this year is not just to participate in 21 days of fasting. We give opportunity throughout this month. Tomorrow night, we're kicking off a prayer meeting here. It's one hour on a Monday night, tomorrow night. Every Saturday for the next three Saturdays, we're going to meet for one hour. We have one worship meeting, one prayer worship meeting in a few weeks that we're going to be gathering and encouraging people to be a part of. Let me tell you this, and I say this, and I'm not, don't misinterpret what I'm saying. Whether or not you come to this doesn't determine whether you're hungry for God. Okay? I know sometimes people can feel guilted or strong-armed into being a part of these things. It doesn't. Because God knows your heart. But here's what I want you to hear. There is something powerful about the group and the gathering of God's people seeking him in unity. Because the church isn't just about individuals. The church is about the community. There's something powerful about us as people saying, I reorder my schedule. I change my priorities to do something as a community for the sake of God. And God does something in the midst of that that cannot be replaced and cannot be um, replicated individually. So whether you come or not, you know what? 
I know I'm accountable for my spiritual walk. I'm not accountable for anybody else's. What I do want you to know is that we have opportunities over the next few weeks for you to be a part of something. And if you're looking for opportunities to help learn to prepare a place for God to move, you can come to our prayer meeting tomorrow night. On Saturdays, you can come to our prayer meetings as we pray through this building and we pray that God would meet us and we pray for each other and we pray for those that are coming. And then our worship time that we just say, you know what, God, I'm tired of things being the way that they are. I'm going to come and I'm just going to worship you. Can I tell you some of the best times that I've ever had of worship in my life have not been when I felt like worshiping God. They just haven't. There are some times where I feel like worshiping God and I'm like, wow, this is great. But there are some times where it's like been a wall and God's like, are you going to choose to worship me or are you going to choose to just kind of not? And I'm like, I don't feel like it right now. And he's like, well, what does that have to do with anything? Jesus didn't feel like dying on the cross right? But because of his great love for us, he gave us his son. And Jesus, for the joy set before him, it says in Hebrews, endured the cross, scorned its shame. And the joy set before him was relationship that we could have with his heavenly father. I want you to know over the next couple of months, preparing a place at Bridge is not just going to be about a couple of weeks where we dedicate our time to see God move this year but it's going to be a routine and a rhythm that we apply. And what I mean by that is, and you'll hear this over the next number of weeks, but every month this year, we're going to carve out the first three days of every month as a tithe back to God of prayer and fasting. 12 times this year, we're going to take the first three days of every month and we're going to give it back to God. And we're going to encourage anyone in the church that wants to be a part of that to join us, to say, you know what? Remember how I said preparing of a place is not an event. It's a routine. It's a rhythm. I want the rhythm of prayer across bridge and in my heart. I want the rhythm of fasting across bridge and in my heart. I want the rhythm of giving. I want the rhythm of worship. I want the rhythm of reading God's word. I want to see all of those things become rhythms because when they're rhythms, we're watering, we're planting, and we're giving God an opportunity to grow. If you would take a moment and you would just stand with me, bow your heads. I'm not sure if this is what you were looking for when you came this morning, or if it isn't. If I'm disappointing you, I'm sorry. I can't do anything different. It's already over. But I'm just going to be honest with you this morning. We live in a messed up world, and there's a lot of stuff that we wrestle with. Take a moment and just bow your heads and just spend time with the Lord this morning and ask God what he wants you to do over the next few weeks. Ask God what he's putting his finger on you right now. Ask God how you can prepare a place in your heart for him to move in 2020. Remember, fasting doesn't move God closer to us us closer to God. And if you're here this morning and you want more of God, you don't need to rely on me. You don't need to rely on your spouse. You don't need to depend on a friend. You don't need to depend on an event. If you're hungry for God, he is looking for more of you this year. I can't emphasize that anymore. The only thing that keeps me from growing closer to God, the only thing that keeps us from growing closer to God is us, not God. 
So can we just take a moment in silence? The team continues to play, and they're going to sing this chorus of this song. If we could just spend a few moments and just invite God and his spirit to speak to us as we get ready to close, that he would purpose in our hearts a hunger to know him more and to call in the name of Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith.